0: friends, thanks for checking in. This week we have Florence Shalom as our guest, or Flo as we were calling her throughout the podcast. Flo is a mother, speaker of Dutch as a second language, which there's not many of that there's not many of those out there. And communications and events manager for the organisation Network of Wellbeing. Flo's core passions lie in connecting people and communities and supporting others to make a, diff, a positive difference in their own lives and the wider world. In this podcast, we talk about compassion and its relationship to our well-being and our society's well-being. We cover self-compassion, compassion for others, and distinguish the difference between empathy and compassion. We discuss the radical nature of compassion in a world which is congested with judgment, othering, and dehumanizing. This is an area I'm particularly passionate about. So it was a real delight to have Flo on. If you want to learn more about Flo and her work, please, actually, please check out the links below to her Twitter page and the Network of Wellbeing website. Thanks for listening, guys. All the best. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, our guest is Florence Shalom. Welcome to the podcast, Florence. Hi.
1: Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. That's
0: oh, a pleasure. Pleasure. First and foremost, what's the crack? How are we keeping?
1: Oh, wow. Great first question. <laughs> uh, doing well, you know. I'm uh, mildly um, aware that my little daughter's just gone to sleep, hoping she's not going to wake up. But otherwise, um, loving life.
0: <laughs> Great. How was your Christmas period?
1: Yeah, it was nice. I actually got a kind of. Good two weeks off work, which was amazing and like much needed to have just like a real rest over that, you know, end of year period. So, yeah, it was good. It was a shame, you know, uh, I didn't get to see as many family as I'd have wanted because of COVID and whatnot. But, you know, otherwise it was lovely.
0: Great. Because I, I often wonder about like organizations say to one that you're at, network of well being. It's like uh-huh. they better pr- really emphasize that they're about well being for their staff. You know, yeah, <laughs> they're
1: yeah, under yeah More yeah. pressure. It's funny. Sometimes we have a little joke about it internally. Like when we get a bit busy and we're a bit overwhelmed, we're like, oh, can't get too stressed out <laughs> working at the network <laughs> But no, I mean we do try as much as we can to practice what we preach, mm. and you know like for example all of our we're a small team of uh like six members of staff and we all work part-time okay. um and we all kind of try and you know take our holidays and have kind of quite flexible working so you know understand that we live full lives we've got other things alongside our work mm-hmm. um, cool. other responsibilities and passions so i love that about working for that kind of small charity that's focused Great. on well-being you know
0: you, you know um a friend of mine he he's a uh, he's the top guy in an organization and he was telling me that he gave this speech not too long ago. And he said um, to his staff, he goes, guys, I don't expect you to give a hundred percent. He goes, I have mm-hmm. two kids and they don't get a hundred percent. So I don't, <laughs> so I don't expect you to be given a hundred percent. He goes, you come in here, you give me a 75. I'll really, really appreciate yeah. that. Cause I know you have a, a life out there as do I, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so often missing, isn't it? Like from a lot of workplaces, just, just, Seeing people as full people Mm. and acknowledging, yeah, you do have like work, like a life outside of your responsibilities at work. And, I, you know, yeah, obviously COVID has been like terrible in so many ways. But I do think, you know, one of the um, few positives that has come out of it is people acknowledging Mm. the kind of balance of things more, you know, like parents having to be more flexible, Mm. people having to adjust to caring responsibilities and stuff you know, people seeing into each other's lives
0: a bit yeah. more through being online. Yeah, yeah, kind. yeah. Totally. Um, Flo, for for people who are unfamiliar with you or your work, it's probably, mm-hmm. we and Seb always say it's the hardest question that we ask. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? How how, oh, yeah. how, how did you end up where you are? <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no, I think, I mean, it's a lovely question, but... um, Ah, yeah. But at the same time, hard indeed, talking Mm. about yourself. But um, I work for the Network of Wellbeing, like you've mentioned, which is a small charity uh, based in Devon in the UK. I actually live in Rotterdam in the Netherlands. um, And that's been a bit of a roundabout journey, how I've come to be living in a separate place to my work, which I've done for almost 10 years now. Um, But I... I, when I first came to the Netherlands, I studied um, sociology and anthropology and I uh, did wanted to do my research on kind of an alternative way of living, basically. So there's like this idea of kind of development and progress being about like, you know financial gain and status and and all of these things and I was really aware that you know often that's not what makes us happy and well as people Um, and also you know that that's, that's a model that's being pushed kind of economic developments being pushed internationally but actually like there's a lot of developed countries, in inverted commas, that aren't actually, you know, happy with the model that they're living within. So I was really interested in that. And um, that took me to this small town in uh, Devon called Topness, where they, uh, it was the, the home of the Transition Towns movement, which is a, an environmental movement where they, you know, focus on what can we do at the community level to tackle, you know, the environmental challenges we face. And I was really interested in, like, the way that they were setting up community projects and the way that they were trying to do things a bit differently, you know. And so I went to Top Nest to do this research. And through that, I met this project, the Network of Wellbeing, that I'm now working for. And they were very much about, like, you know, uh, economic growth, uh, like monetary gain, is, status is not what makes mm-hmm. us happy. Actually, you know, human connection, connection to nature, like having a deeper sense of meaning and purpose in our lives. These are the kind of things that really. You know help us to feel truly well um and how can we kind of challenge that mainstream narrative how can we create uh new narratives new values and examples of putting these new uh, narratives and values into practice so um yeah I was really inspired by that and uh even though I kind of came back to the Netherlands to finish my studies and like write up my research after i did that i uh i started working with network of Wellbeing, and i've been working there ever since i work as the communications and events manager so we run a lot of different uh online uh and offline events and uh we've got a little retreat center in devon oh. and we've got um a uh, share shared library of things project as well which is kind of looking at how people can share and connect more rather than kind of needing to own everything yourself so yeah look, looking at different ways that we can share learning and practices around sustainable well-being really
0: fantastic law. Uh, it's the first thing that came to mind is by any chance have you heard of christopher boyce
1: i have and you know what i was researching your guys uh. podcast and i saw him on there and actually i'm i i really i i've met christopher a uh. few times through my work and he even came to a uh research event in Rotterdam um, University about happiness and we met there but also I've also traveled to Bhutan as part of my own own personal journey so I guess to tell you a bit more like about that that journey that started with the Totnes um, but it's kind of continued on you know I've gone deeper into looking at like what's that relationship between our inner practices of things like mindfulness and compassion and then the kind of change we want to see in the Mm. outer world the social change that we know we Mm. need to see um and yeah part of that journey that's taken me to lots of different places and trainings and that kind of thing but part of that was going to Bhutan so I really connected with Christopher followed his blog like really excited about his book coming out
0: oh fantastic Christopher's actually a good friend of mine now we keep him very close to yeah
1: yeah yeah. I'll
0: I'll definitely let him know
1: yeah oh that's cool he's a lovely guy and like incredible the journey that he did the cycle all the way to bhutan yeah. was like i was so inspired so, by that for sure. because
0: what you were talking about there just on your intro uh, your introduction to yourself i
1: mm-hmm.
0: i just thought this is exactly what christopher is talking about how we're pitched yeah. this idea of success right and then we yeah. often have the scent the sense or like the experience that that this pitch is not actually fulfilling what uh, we thought it would fulfill, yeah. and then we have this this mm-hmm. weird um, dynamic where we're, where some of us are questioning how we feel. Oh, maybe I feel like this because I'm not successful enough or I need to do this or I need to do that. Mm-hmm. Rather than yeah. addressing potentially maybe the pitch that we were pitched was never actually yeah. destined. It's it's not it's not um it's not designed for our well being. It's designed as an economic model.
1: Exactly.
0: Um
1: yeah, it's designed to keep the system taking yeah. over and uh yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like, I think that that's why, yeah, it's actually, this is shown in in research, you know, be on a personal level, beyond a certain level of income, you know, our happiness level doesn't increase. So I think it's really important to point out, you know, when we get into these conversations, of course, you know, we know, like in happiness research, you know that it's important for people to have their basic needs met, you know, for food and shelter. Um, but and and beyond that, of course, like to some extent, um, having like material needs met can bring a certain level of well-being and happiness. But up to a certain point, and it's not kind of continuous. Mm-hmm. Just like um, on the so on the personal level, our income exponentially increasing doesn't make us that level of happiness you know you can just look at examples of people winning the lottery but then going back down to the kind of same level of happiness that they had Mm -hmm. previous you know so that's on a very personal level and then on the kind of wider societal level we're sold the narrative that economic growth is um, what we should be aiming for as a society you know and we're constantly reported in the news like growth statistics have gone up by this much and that's supposed to be a good thing and if they've gone down all that's something to worry about but actually if you unpick it a little bit you realize you know endless economic growth on a finite planet that we live on is not sustainable but also it's not even desirable you know what does it really mean like kind of these rises in economic growth it just means an increase in in production and throughput of the kind of material economy but it doesn't Necessarily, you know, contribute to people's well-being. You know, I often hear examples of like, if someone gets in a car accident, and you know their their car gets written off, they have to have repairs. They, there has to be someone to come and and care for them, etc. That could add figures to GDP. But if that same person just went for a walk in the woods, that doesn't yeah. add anything to the figures. But you know, mm. so like. We're, we're kind of measuring and focusing the wrong thing. on the wrong things, both at the individual and at the societal level, mm. I'd say. Like, do you th- do you think COVID, uh, this like kind of two years that we've
2: gone through, this like almost forced um, pause or reset potentially, do you think that's yeah. um, one benefit, the very few benefits that COVID has brought us? Because, you know, I talked to a lot of friends because um, uh, only recently I was going through a bit of a kind of, oh God, is this really what my life is going to be like? Just mm. locking in and out, like doing a job that I couldn't really care. I don't hate it, but I doesn't, doesn't mm. do anything for me. I don't get to Friday yeah. and feel a sense of pride or or anything yeah. what I've done the, in the past week. And I was like, because it's really mm-hmm. going to be me for the next 40 years. And I talked to friends yeah. and all these friends that I thought were killing it in London and, you know, getting promotion after promotion and this, that and the other, a lot of them were like, yeah, listen, man, I'm just like, it's not like, I don't hate it, but it's just apathy. Um, which I was saying to yeah. them in a phone, in a, like a phone call before, like, I think apathy is one of the saddest states of the human mind. Mm. Um, yeah. Cause I just think it means like a complete lack, like I know just lack of hope. Um, yeah. And th- a lot of them were telling me that they were just like, man, I don't want to do this either. Um, mm. I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what, I know that I, this isn't for me for the rest of my life, but equally I don't have something that was like, oh, this is my actual passion or this is what's going to yeah. make me happy. And, you know, this is what yeah. I want to do with the next 40 years, but at least mm-hmm. we've been able to kind of get, take a step back, see the wood for the trees, yeah. you know, um, and have that research. Do you think, have you found that in your work that that's been a positive?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, like got many different aspects hasn't it that question I think for sure there has been some elements of that like I think that a kind of the collective pause that had that's been enforced you know obviously had some really negative impacts and had some um unexpected kind of opportunities for some in terms of having that slowing down you know like slowing down and not being you know forced into like really long commutes and you know um like having that opportunity to kind of look at like your your life from, from a bit of a distance and and reflect on like what you spend your time on and that kind of thing I think yeah, and and I think in our I in our work at the Network of Wellbeing, w well we've we've like kind of done a lot more online events and found that there's a real sense of community that's emerged in a lot of groups, um, albeit like people missing, you know, and now and wanting to combine that online with face to face contact when possible. But you know, that, that sense of community has been able to be fostered in, in different ways through this time. So I think Yeah, there's been like that slowing down, that that kind of space for reflection and that sense of community for some people. Um, And then, of course, you know, COVID's also highlighted like deeper societal issues like massive inequality and then people that aren't able to take that time out, you know, um, haven't had those opportunities. So I think it's like a real, real mixed um, impact in that way, I, I guess I'd say. Um, And and I guess on the wider level, there's a hope that, um, you know, having that opportunity could kind of create that, you know, that space in society um, to kind of rethink the way that we're doing things. And I think jury's still out a little bit on uh, whether that that opportunity will be taken, really. Um, But on, yeah, like I really want to pick up on one thing you said there, Seb, about um, you having the perception of your friends killing it in London and stuff. Uh, like, I think that's so common and, like, that um, comparison um, to others' lives, so common and so damaging, like, it's so easy to look at, especially with social media, obviously. Um, but also if you're just feeling a bit isolated, if you're feeling a bit low, um, to look at others and think they're doing it better than mm. me or I'm, like, therefore I'm failing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think... Um, that that's one reason, and I know we're going to come on to talk more about compassion. But that's one reason that I I think like having a sense of self compassion is is really important because you can really acknowledge or understand that that you're not the only one that feels that way. Like if you tell me that, I'm like, yeah, I feel like that all the time too. I see my friends like you know doing different things, achieving in different ways, and I think, oh my, I'm so behind. I'm not doing the things that I should be doing. I should be this. I should be that so easy to get into that trap in your mind and it's so it's so draining isn't it so draining to get Mm. those feelings
2: yeah it is and for me it was a weird one because you know i mentioned before that i'd moved out to before we started recording that i've moved out to madrid and that kind of came about Mm. through a point of reflection whereby just before we were finishing our, our finishing our studies we were all kind of there's this massive surge to apply for the undergraduate kind of roles that were coming up in the and even though all of my obviously uni mates had all studied spanish and i studied spanish and business yeah. so all kind of very languages based we we're all like a lot mm-hmm. of us were applying to like you know the mckinsey's and all this type of stuff mm-hmm. and i was like feeling the pressure I was, oh my god i need to get this application off because it's going to close tomorrow yeah. and, and then i was like but i actually want them to turn me down like i don't want to be accepted yeah. and then i just sat there in my yeah. like in the like shooting living room I was just like what am I doing like why am I sending applications that I then want to actively get rejected like it just seems ridiculous and then that's when I was like look I don't want to live in London like I don't want to do this I want to move to Madrid but even then having moved to Madrid I still find myself if I'm not careful like falling back into the trap of oh shit but I'm on 27 grand and my mates on 40 grand And i'm yeah, not even yeah. like putting into the you know the cost of like what madrid living is compared to london living etc i'm seeing like oh this uh, is that and no, oh he's no. just he's got enough money to put like to put a deposit down on a house i can't even like dream of that in the next 10 years and then you just it just yeah. falls into this cycle and you're like, Fuck, like these were people that like at the age of 18 to 21 i was on a par with and then when you yeah. kind of do this like stupid maths you're like, oh my yeah. God, I'm like way behind now, what's happened? And then, like I said, it takes you another like, moment of reflection to go, listen, they're mm-hmm. in their lane doing what they want to do. And that's great. And obviously yeah. like, you know, kudos to them and celebrate their, their mm-hmm. achievements as they're your friends. But like, it has nothing to do with what you're doing. Um, But it does take yeah. a point just like to pull yourself out and be like, Jesus, like calm. And also just to, you know, you just talking about self-compassion, but to kind of recognize the things that you've achieved and like. Because friends yeah. say to me, like, oh, yeah, but you've moved abroad and like, you know, I'm still sharing with my flatmates in London and you and your girlfriend have got your own flat and you've got a dog. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that's just, like, li- I, to me, it's just, like, oh, yeah, that's just life. But to them, obviously, because they're comparing it the other way, they're like, oh, yeah. that's a massive achievement that you've done that, I, that they haven't done. Do you know what I mean, it's like you get yeah. caught in this like futility of comparison and it's just the worst.
1: Yeah. so so well put the futility of comparison you know they say comparison is the thief of joy and they don't say that for no reason you know it really gets it's a a bit of a trap but you know to link back to what we were saying earlier it's like very much about the societal values that are pushed upon us Mm. you know like have you got a job? Are you earning enough? Have you got a house? You know, are you in a steady relationship? Are you settled down? You know, you like, like your life is some Mm -hmm. kind of tick box or something that you have to then like compare with other people, which is just like, not you know, not helpful or, you know, supportive at all for anyone. Um, And actually, I find... um, There's some research done by um, a guy called Tim Kasser who talks about the difference between intrinsic and extrinsic values. And he talks about extrinsic extrinsic values are things like status and money and income and um, that we're we're kind of taught to focus on them, you know, how do I look to the outside world? Mm -hmm. But actually, like, research has shown what really makes us happy is, like, intrinsic values, so things that we deeply care about our, our you know our relationships but also like our own passions our own sense of meaning that comes from mm. the inside out mm. and i think you know we're not taught that so like we're constantly pushed these like external extrinsic like values and that's what you you kind of then end up judging yourself on just because it's what's around you and what's constantly promoted but actually if you kind of yeah get the chance to like take a step back and get supported in looking at or, or even just support yourself in just looking at like what really matters to me actually like what's really making me happy and like that's really striking what you say about like trying to apply for that course and then not even wanting no. to get on you know it's like what yeah. like you know what and then just observing okay what, what moments do make me happy and often it's like those smaller things that you wouldn't necessarily shout about but that just do really mean a lot to you you know so i think that's important. i think the realize. culture
0: like breeds off in insecurity you know the the yeah. culture is trying to go oh you sure about that thing well look at this thing and yeah because yeah, you can't yeah. make a lot of money off someone who's pretty secure in their intrinsic values you know, <laughs> you can't, sure. like you said, you yeah. can't make money off someone who just prefers to go to the forest and the, the, the pub at the weekend. Maybe, maybe he'll buy yeah. boots every few yeah, yeah. years or, you know, but, yeah. but the, the, then you have to put, then we can so easily all fall into that kind of, we're all subject to that. Like there's no getting away from it unless you buy a cabin in the woods. They kind no. of gone, oh, well, yeah. are you sure about that thing? Because here's the opposite and it's looking a lot better and like Seb was saying, it's like that fight, like the internal experience, you mm-hmm. have to trust that. I think we have to trust that. And I almost fail not to s- sound overtly conspiratorial, but so much is going, oh, your experience, ah, uh, but but look at this, you know, but look at this. Whereas yeah. what's, what Seb is talking about, yeah, what you are yeah. talking about, it's like this sense, all right, well, this is what I'm feeling, so I have to trust this. It's the, it's mm-hmm. the closest thing I have.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's not, you know, in in a way, it's increasingly, like, it looks less conspiracy theory if it's, like, backed up by a lot of research, you know, that actually these are the things that make us more happy. But we can see that, you know, it's beneficial to certain aspects of society to keep us insecure, to keep us as kind of model consumers, you know, like, it, it, you know, it's not... Um, you know, if you if you felt just completely happy and contented with your with your walk in, in the woods and your you know your social connections, then yeah, you wouldn't necessarily be having that kind of constant need to um, consume more and more for your sense of meaning, purpose, mm. and status. You know, you would. Of course, there's certain things that we we need to consume, but we, like the level of consumption that we're that we have in society at the moment, in like to to meet kind of to, to, to fulfill our, like, needs that, that can be fulfilled in other much more meaningful mm. ways has just got a bit out of control, mm. I'd say.
0: Well, so for the intro into compassion, would you mind giving us your definition or a, a generally agreed-upon definition so we all know what we're working with?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so compassion is a sense of feeling with others but also kind of importantly wanting to kind of relieve another's suffering so um while empathy is is that kind of genuine sense of sharing another's emotional state compassion is is moving beyond that into kind of wishing and or acting towards relieving um that that others' um suffering
0: like trying to acknowledge your own suffering reduce that suffering and trying to acknowledge other people's suffering Uh and reduce their suffering Mm -hmm.
1: exactly yeah and i find self-compassion is such a helpful way into the the topic of compassion more broadly so um there's an american researcher who i really love called kristin neff who does a lot of work on self-compassion and she she breaks it down into like three really easy accessible steps which Starts with um, kind of just mindfulness of, so when you uh, have an experience of suffering in yourself, just a kind of mindfulness of that suffering. And by that, she she kind of describes not pushing it away. You know, it's so easy when we feel that sense of of sadness or overwhelm or or whatever the feeling of suffering might be, anxiety, that we just want to run from it or, you know, repress it or, you know, buy something to make us feel better. Um, but actually, if we can just, you know, learn to be mindful and sit sit with that feeling of um, suffering, that's the first step in self-compassion. Um, the second step is recognising that this is actually a shared experience, like recognising our common mm-hmm. humanity. So knowing that if you are feeling, like we're talking about now, that you're feeling, uh, you know, ashamed because you don't feel like you're measuring up to a certain ideal or whatever. When you're in that, when you get stuck in that thought process, it's so easy to feel like I'm the only one feeling this way and how could anyone like, you know, what's wrong with me kind of vibe. But like you say, Seb, like your friends feeling the exact same thing, like comparing themselves to you. So like recognising that common humanity is the second step of Mm. self-compassion. And then the third step is loving kindness. So really practising like like kind words to yourself, but with a genuineness. So not like a false sense of positivity, but like any small like act of work, either act, gesture, like just putting like a hand on your heart or just like gently slowing down or like trying to just say to yourself like you're okay you're doing the best you can like you know any any kind of small gentle words like that so in those three steps um like putting those three steps into practice can be really transformative actually because it just helps you to see your own see your own suffering in a new way and try to then like try you know transform that suffering but not with the you don't go into the process in it's it's kind of a delicate thing because you don't don't go into the process like wanting to push your suffering away like I say but being with your suffering in a different way and through that process often your suffering can Mm. transform.
2: And Flo, do you find that um because you mentioned that there are two parts there's like the self um compassion yeah. and then there's the compassion towards your friends and and loved ones yeah so you're trying to like help them resolve their issues do you find that um, some people um are maybe better at one than the other i think jim would probably say that i am maybe better uh with other people so i've maybe got the outer mm-hmm. compassion towards friends and loved ones but not so good at self-compassion um, yeah. do you find that that's like a common thing and uh, people trying to come into you with those problems
1: yeah definitely that um like i think uh a, yeah a lot of people have that kind of outer uh focus and can be really kind to their friends and people in their lives. Um, and actually find that their own inner world or inner voice is actually a lot more critical so often in in self-compassion training it's about trying to see yourself as a good friend so like how you know when you make a mistake at work for example and you're like you know you could be like oh my god how could I have done it oh I'm terrible like why am I like this but if you could, you know, imagine if your friend was going through the same experience, what would you say to them? Like, would you, you know, imagine saying the same things like you say to yourself, to a friend, you you just wouldn't do it. So like bringing that sense of awareness and like trying to become a compassionate friend to yourself is something that's really important, especially for those people that are... Um, and i i'm like that as well for sure like more likely to like look at others around and check in on others but that actually can be quite bad at like checking in mm. on yourself basically yeah. like giving yourself that time like, and is it a defense mechanism I, like, this,
2: this is gonna sound terrible given that like we're 80 podcasts in <laughs> yeah it's gonna sound terrible like there were 80 episodes into a podcast of mental health podcast that, that i'm a host of but like I just find with this is just purely myself, okay? This us not to say that anyone needs to think this way. I know it's probably the wrong way to think, but like, the two reasons that I find self compassion hard because like Jim's always like oh man you need to be like more compassionate to yourself you need to be a mm. bit, bit more like kinder with yourself whatever. But the two reasons I find it hard is number one and I don't know if, I don't know if this is a British thing or I don't know but I find it really self indulgent like a, just like a bit icky mm. that feeling like, yeah. oh, like oh like like yeah. don't give yourself praise I think that's not your job let others kind of give you praise but you that's not your thing to do. And then mm. the other then the other thing more, maybe more seriously is that like in my head it's like I need to hold myself to a higher set of values and standards and that's not like I don't mean economically speaking or oh, I need to be successful in my job just in terms of like with my relationships that I have and you know those types of things and personally I need to hold myself to a higher set of standards than I would expect of my friends but I do so kind of like for them in a way so that i can be the best friend i can for that person if if that makes sense so it's like yeah i know people say oh yeah but you wouldn't speak to your friend like that it's like yeah but i don't expect them to hold themselves to my standard that's like my standards what i've created for myself not for anyone else to live with so then it's like that's why i'm like harsh on myself because it's like these are things that I've like values and principles that I want to base myself off. And if I'm not reaching them, then that means I'm not being the friend that I expect him to be. I'm not being the boyfriend I'm expecting yeah. to be. I'm not being the son that I expect to be. And that's when it like, do you know what I mean? So I feel like I'm doing it almost in service of others
1: yeah.
2: in a weird way. I don't know how to explain it, but yeah.
1: I, do, I get exactly what you mean, Seb. And uh, it's, it's really interesting it's almost, in a way, it's a bit of a trick that we play on ourselves, I would say. And I and I relate to you exactly because I do the same thing. But actually, what the, you know, what the research shows is the more that we can be self-compassionate with ourselves, you know, people get scared, like, oh, if I'm just like soft with myself, then I'm not going to achieve anything. And then I'll just like let everything go and I won't be kind to anyone um actually you know what's been shown is the more that we can bring that kind of uh, kindness to ourselves it's like you fill your own cup and then you you kind of are able more able more capable to give to others in your life to you know achieve the things that you want to achieve because you are taking care of yourself because mm. you are uh, bringing that compassionate attitude towards yourself and if you And I've done this myself many times. If you try and like just constantly give, give, give and like push, 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 then you can find yourself in a state where you're overwhelmed, where you feel really empty and you feel quite lost Um, and you find it hard to like... um, then generate that, like that, that gentleness with yourself, like you're saying. And I, yeah, I definitely um, can understand that. And that's why I say, like, I think it's important that this, that any practice you do, like, feels genuine for you. It's not yeah. like, oh, this, you know. But I would say, like, be open to, like, be open to kind of trying those in a way that feels genuine and authentic to you. Mm-hmm. Be open to trying it because it can then help you to be a better friend to be a better partner to be a better you know yeah, um yeah. Uh, person I think.
2: yeah and do you find as well that people find it self-indulgent or like they come to you with the idea of like that is not like it's not yeah. for me to be compassionate to myself let others do that like that's yeah yeah that for my sure. virtues I'm not gonna start doing that stuff
1: oh yeah definitely like people I mean you know I think there's a kind of cultural attitude yeah and it's interesting like where, where does it come from but like that we need to kind of push ourselves and that we improve through harsh criticism and struggle and we internalize that attitude and kind of yeah like kind of shout at ourselves internally sometimes you know that we have to be doing things a certain way living a certain way and then um, and to some extent that can get results you know but um to some extent. And I think that it it can also have like consequences for our mental health basically. And I think that that's really important to acknowledge and find, find ways to deal with that feel right for you.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, Flo, what I've found in in my last few years is that the more, I can give sincere compassion to myself. The more, this isn't in contradiction to say because I know, like, you know, it's not whether it's true or not, but what context is true and what context is not true. So, for me, I've found that like the more compassion I can have for myself, genuinely, the more I can I can give compassion to other people, genuinely, because I think there's a societal expectation going like, oh, you know, you gotta be you gotta be kind to this. Particular cause or this particular group of people, and ah. and sometimes it's not genuine because it's it's more like of a learned thing. It's not like a deep sense of I really have compassion for for that person or that group of people or that struggle. Um, yeah. and w- why I, I I came across your workshop about like compassion as activism. And, you know, a lot of people will be like, oh, here we go, like someone taking something like esoteric and trying to make it, you know, more on the ground, like revolutionary. But so many times in my life and like with people I love and there's no judgment here, but you're like, there's a position where some like there's a lack of compassion for a particular person or a group. And the over here, look at the media we consume. Lack of compassion for someone who doesn't hold the opinion that we hold, or has had a different background that we have had, and so they look at the world a little differently. It, it's it is radical to say I don't I don't want to slander them. I don't know I don't know what they've been through. I don't I don't want to take the easy hit and say Ah oh, yeah they are cowboys they are silly they are uneducated they are you know put in any word you want pejorative term you want to put in. And I like, I really believe it's radical because everyone is just going, go on, just, just, just say the other side are wrong. just You know, just say that, just say that he shouldn't have done that. And he was wrong. And I, and why, yeah, why invite you on is because I'd love for you to speak more on this. That, that just how radical it is, because if you can just watch your daily, ba- like daily actions or daily interactions with people, how many times do people set you up? for the lack of for the judgment they're like literally just going giving yeah. it to you on a platter go and judge them judge that guy there really?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 for sure i mean i think we live now in like such a polarized like judgmental society in a lot of ways like in a kind of yeah divisive society that's got that kind of us and them Um, narrative going on in in so many different ways you know about yeah like if you believe this then you're right and if you don't then you're wrong and you've got you've got to say like they're ridiculous otherwise like you're not in this group or that group and um, yeah I think that you know what compassion brings to the table in this uh, like dialogue is well, being open to to your own like reactions, so your genuine reactions. I like what you say, Jim, about like you know, there's the level of like how I'm supposed to feel, how I'm supposed to be responding, how I'm supposed to be thinking. That often people just kind of like switch into autopilot mm. and just get stuck there and don't kind of critically analyze. Um, but what's your genuine like you know feeling thought? Thought process around a certain topic and and you know having I find like having a mindfulness practice and and having compassion like can give a bit of space for that basically and that's not all like fluffy rainbows and clouds you know it's um that can bring up a lot of like dark nasty Mm -hmm. feelings like anger um like you know confusion rage like frustration all of these things which are you know aren't wrong these like the the thing is those feelings aren't wrong in the society we live in today you know there are big challenges facing us and it's important to look those in the face and be aware of them Um, but I think that if we get into the trap of like yeah like narrowing down and just like blaming specific individuals rather than looking at the structures of the systems within which we're living then then we're not on the path to like a, a kind of genuine uh wider sense yeah. of change we're just getting stuck in in a kind of cycle of of it might feel like in the moment you know and and of course you know no one's immune to this it might feel good in the moment to say yeah like they're stupid and wrong and therefore like raise yourself up but actually that's not creating a space where we can have um yeah more more open dialogues more chance for the potential for understanding different perspectives and for yeah like eventually being able to shift things so I think I think you know Mindfulness and compassion, and for me, like having a mindfulness, I see mindfulness and compassion as really mm. interrelated, you know. Um, yeah, so like kind of like two sides of the same mm. coin. Um, having that kind of practice can give you the space to acknowledge what your genuine reactions are, but also then have more space to hold. Another's perspective, and that's not to say it's not to say that you need to be soft and and light and accepting of everything, but at least you can come from a more genuine and open position in the way that you engage mm, I, like
2: so. that. I think I don't know if, if if you guys would agree, but maybe what I think one of the issues might be that sometimes it feels like if you're on a certain side of the argument, it might feel like you're always trying to be compassionate towards the other side and the other side is just belligerently kind of like just shouting their views across and it's not like mm. compassion on both sides as so then mm. it becomes a point where it's just like oh you know what like i'm i'm tired of trying to be the good guy i'm tired tired of trying to be the one to understand the un the like yeah. the incomprehensible uh and you know what like this it's just i can't like last year i tried to i'm not like some sort of white knight don't get me wrong at all and in fact i do want to talk to you because i feel like i'm becoming more and more entrenched in some views but like at the start of the year i tried to be like listen you know what let's not just call a spade a spade let's try to get like understanding and like try to have these compassionate you know really like conversations rather than just being like you're this and well look that's not going to change anyone anyway and that all it does is it just like entrenches them further in whatever they believe so like an example was like when the whole george floyd movement was happening like there was some guy on facebook wasn't even he's was like a friend of a friend that was like commenting like just racist bile on facebook and everyone was in commenting underneath being like oh you're a racist cunt and this that and the other and you could yeah. tell he was almost getting kicks out of it like it was like that's the Um, attention that he wanted you know so I I don't know the guy but I reached out to him and we had like over a week (laughs) over a week like this like conversation of like why I think potentially even though I can maybe try to understand where he's coming from why his views may be hurtful towards people um, and this that and the other and yada yada and like by the end of it it was so draining for me to try and like be compassionate and try to understand like just open, openly racist views hmm. and then like for him there was no like he was never saying it the other way around he was never like oh i could see why you think the um, like imperialism is bad but uh, he wasn't like it was just like nah mate this is how it is this is why this uh-huh. is this is why white people are better and it's like oh and by the end of it i was like what am i doing like i'm not gonna yeah. change the lads I'm, I'm equally, I'm not going to call him a racist prick or anything because that's not going to get anything further. But I was like, why have I even tried? Like, I just, like... And then, and then you, I started finding myself over, like, obviously what's happened with the UK politically and stuff. You find yourself, like, really seeing it as, like, an us v them thing, which I hate. And we um, always try to say on the podcast, like, not to do that. But I'll be honest, I have caught myself in that thing of, like, oh, how did you idiots vote for Boris? And how did you vote for Brexit? And oh, my God, are you serious? Like, and, like... You know, I said that I listened to the James O'Brien LBC, which probably gives away, like, my political persuasion. But he always says, compassion for the con, contempt for the con men. And I think, like, it's a great thing to try and live by, but I think it's really, really hard to like, actually, as Jim would say, genuinely implement that. because It's all well and good to say, like, oh, I can see when they come from this. But when people are saying things that you find, like, deeply offensive or whatever it may be, to really try and have comp- true compassion for these people... It can be so draining, I find, anyway. And then you you get caught in this thing of, like, like you said, it's an us v them, it's, like, really just kind of tribal, when actually you maybe came into it with good intentions, but it just wears you down. But, sorry,
0: not to yeah. put in. Yeah, definitely. But th- this is why I want to ask Flo mm-hmm. about practice, because, you know, people say, oh, yeah, I'm trying to be compassionate. It was really hard. Yeah, it's, yeah, I, I you know, I just can't look at Nigel naja Fraz and say, like, I'll give him a hug or whatever. But... That's because compassion is like a muscle that you have to build. You know, it's Mm. not like some people are just, you know, the Dalai Lama uh, and they can just like hug everybody and there's no intention to change someone's mind. There's just going, I see another human there, another soul. I'm trying to give them the best right now. It's a it's a practice. And I think that's, that's why I want to talk to you about, like, I want to allocate significant time to this because it's super hard. I remember years ago, I would be judging people so much. And, but like from from a position of, and I'm sure the other people had that position of, I'm just doing, I'm just trying to tell them the right way to look at it. You know, I'm just trying to tell them like this and this. But, but, But when you can consistently and this is where I think it comes back to, like, I just think self-compassion and outward compassion are just so interrelated where if you sit ta- if you sit with yourself, like, consistently months over years, you'll just say, oh, yeah, I had that negative thought there. Oh, something came up there where I judged yeah. that person, like, in a vile way, like Seb was talking about. You know, sometimes you look people and some, all of a sudden you think that yeah. thing and you're like, oh, my God. But if you have the compassion for yourself, you just go... That's the nature of the mind sometimes. The mind is a product of its environment. The environment is quite toxic, so you can kind of let that go. And you have the ability to know that you are not the mind. You are something deeper than your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And so you can and then you can go. You can look at someone who's probably had a similar thought to you. You know, that group of people are like, mm. oh, they're scumbags, or they're this and this. And then you go, oh, OK, because I, I, there's a part of me in that person you know maybe I'm not doing what they're yeah. doing but there's a part of me who has felt strongly as they felt and I think that's where it comes from then it's genuine yeah. and then so, so it's like yeah h- how do we build that flow I don't want to act like I I have it perfectly but yeah, like no. for people are going yeah Jim yeah I like it but I'd like to see you when you're in this environment or I'd like to see you where you're in that environment
1: yeah. yeah 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 um well first of all love the question and I'm not going to pretend I have the whole answer (laughs) because obviously this is like a huge you know huge like philosophical dilemma like you know throughout the ages you know like yeah how do you have that sense of like um acceptance and love um for people, you know, people that are strongly other than you. Um, but there's a few things. I mean, it's it's like, yeah, I love hearing you guys share your own experiences in relation to this. I guess in, in response to Seb, I would say um, compassion isn't only about being soft um, and gentle and understanding and open. It's also like there's a there's a and Kristen Neff, the researcher I mentioned earlier, her latest book is about fierce compassion. So um, it's about like the the fire in your belly, the, the strength to say no when you think something's not right. That is also compassion. You're actually showing in your original act of like commenting on that Facebook post, you were showing like this is not okay. And I'm drawing a boundary and a line here. And then you engaged in dialogue. But then you've also got the right to set your boundary within that dialogue and say, you know what, this isn't, things aren't changing here, I'm going to have compassion for myself, I'm going to put my energy where change is possible, you know, um, and, you know, stop this discussion now. And who's not to say that you haven't um, laid some kind of shoots of uh, green shoots or seeds of change for that you know the person that you had the discussion with but there's no need I I wouldn't say that a compassion practice requires you to expend your pour your energy your precious life energy down like an endless you know hole of someone who's just not going to change their views but I would say you know that compassion does sometimes require us to say no like whether that's to say no when we don't agree with something that's going on in wider society we to say no to the way that people are you know expressing themselves if you feel it's disrespectful to you or others around you and to try and approach that in openness but not but also to say no if that then that dialogue isn't isn't going anywhere Um, and I'd say in relation to you know this question of yeah, what you said about James O'Brien and and his perspective of uh, the way that you you know look at people that have been wronged or the people that are doing the wrong. I'd say um, I like this phrase like hate this hate the sin but not the sinner. You know, so you can be you can feel that anger and indignation against someone's actions against like how these actions are playing into kind of wider systemic issues that's not to say that person necessarily is like evil or wrong or stupid or you know you can disagree with the action with you know with the outcome of that um and then in terms of what you're saying jim about practice um yeah so there i originally started practicing mindfulness and compassion through um, a kind of buddhist practice in a way and um, through the um, zen buddhist teacher Thich han who really talks about engaged buddhism so not just buddhism as an inner practice but how that then fuels us to engage in the wider world um, and you know in in buddhism and um, there's a meta practice of uh, compassion and that's a training of the mind where you um you know repeat uh compassion phrases loving phrases towards yourself um and they're things like may you be happy may you be healthy may you live at ease um you direct those towards yourself towards uh, a close loved one towards someone that's kind of neutral to you and then towards someone who you actually you know have real challenges with and that that is a a kind of um established part of uh like metta is an established part of buddhist practice and indeed that is about building up that muscle of compassion being able to even if and again going back to the you know hate the sin not the sinner even if you you really are like like devastated by someone's actions is it possible to to you know see the person within that and and still wish them well even if that means at a distance and kind of putting your boundary up and cutting yourself off from them um that is hard <laughs> that's not um <laughs> you know i could, you know that's the that's the practice and honestly it's a it's a lifelong journey i've 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 been practicing that for like six or seven years or something and i definitely like only barely you know barely scratching the surface so um you know, I think, um, I think, yeah, I think it's, uh, but I do find that, you know, that it, it it brings me something, like you said, Jim, about the more that you can practice that, the more that you notice it can have an impact on on your life, so it's kind of iterative, it builds up, so it, yeah, it can sound quite theoretical and maybe a bit wishy-washy when you haven't tried it, but in the experience of doing it yourself, you can notice, um, you know, those, shifts of transformation and why I'm really interested in the link between compassion and activism is because it doesn't seem to fit together you know people assume like compassion is like just accepting everyone and it and it's actually you know like I say there's there's a sense that actually you know it's about Accepting our interconnection mm-hmm. with every, you know, every other person and every living being mm-hmm. on this earth, and still within that, being able to, you know, uh, take action and, um, you know, work towards a, a more hopeful yeah. future. So yeah, it's it's kind of it can feel quite paradoxical at times, and yet it's so powerful when you get in the in the sweet spot of that balance. It's
0: totally, I, I. I, I'm currently writing this piece I mentioned before on on division and compassion, and what what I just see is the danger of dehumanisation. So instead of an enemy of yours, right, someone you the the uh, opinion that you oppose vehemently, um, instead of seeing that as an opportunity to dehumanise that person. Can mm-hmm. you see that as an opportunity? All right, here's the test. You know, you're learning a language. You, there's times where you have to show what you've been practicing. All right, here's the test. Like, do I dehumanize the person, as in a lot of as a lot of people around me are doing, or hmm. or do I take it? Going, okay, I'm I'm strongly disagree with you. There's no way I'm agreeing with you, but I'm not. I'm not treading those waters of dehumanization because after dehumanization, what would you do to that person then? And then I just think mm. it gets very, very, as Seb and myself would say, it gets squirrely and it gets, it gets squirrely. <laughs> and that, that, that's my deep wish for, the, for for this podcast is for people to just say, like the the dehumanization of people is is mm. really dangerous, and it's very palpable. You can feel it. People are really, you know, calling people like animals, like comparing people to animals. And once you go there, what's the next stop? That's what I feel. So i I think, I think what you're speaking about with compassion is just it. I mean, look at Martin Luther King as well. He was he was hardcore activist, but that but that man had a lot of yeah. compassion, you know. And I don't think he yeah, I don't yeah. think he ever yeah. dehumanized the white people that were throwing God's name at him, you know, and killing his people, you know.
1: I I think it's really important as well to look at power. Um, structures and um, so it's really easy to uh you know dehuman like actually often the people with the most power benefit from that dehumanization yeah. process the most so actually it's like the classic divide and conquer kind of um, mindset isn't it and if you look at um you know to give a, a very modern e- example you look at the way like the Kind of mainstream media in the UK can dehumanize immigrants and refugees, and then that, that can then justify, you know, like, her, like horrendous policies of, of exclusion and, and terrible treatment of, of those people, um, of people in those vulnerable positions, I mean. Um, and I think that in that case, it's like who's got the power here? Who's benefiting from this narrative of mm. dehumanisation, and how can I challenge that? You know like um rather than getting caught in yeah this like divisive um yeah divisive rhetoric that's all about kind of just keeping us a bit s- submissive because if you're just fighting people with either the same or less power than than you the whole time rather than kind of coming together to look at the structures that are um kind of controlling things then then you're kind of more malleable and controllable by the powers that be That might sound a bit conspiracy theories <laughs> But I do really genuinely think that that's how uh, You know, how the, You know uh, the, the, you know, governments and corporations Try to keep us uh, A little bit kind of more yeah. controllable
0: basically yeah, yeah. I mean, I even think from the media it brought point me of back view to... Sorry, Seb. Sorry, Jim, I no, go on, go on I was just going to say, even from the media point of view, when was the last time you read an article that just said, hey, guys, it's been tough for real, really everyone. Um, and I think yeah. we all got to, you know, look after ourselves first and foremost, look after our families, but also remember that there are people really struggling. And when people are really struggling, they resort to certain things. And people are not their opinions and people are not their actions. You know, Condemn the action, con- con- but they're still people at the end of the day. Like that, that article isn't going to go viral. <laughs> You know, but Mm, what is going to go viral is, hey, you see that opinion that's opposite to yours or see that group of people that are thinking, oh, here's another, here's another example of them just being wild or being stupid or being ignorant. And then that's what you say. Like you talk about the things that are controlling us, talk about the algorithms that are just pitched to going, all right, let's like that guy, that guy is getting riled up here. We better send him more of that, more of that. And, yeah. um, and I've just seen yeah. so many good-hearted, good-natured people really dehumanize some other people. And I can't help but think that that is almost mm. a direct result of the media being pitched to them, you know. And like you said, that to have that awareness, to have just to take the step back on, right, what's really going on here? Who's benefiting from the fact that I yeah. now want to punch this guy's head in that I've never met?
1: Yeah, uh, and, yeah. You know. Yeah, well, you know, we yeah we live in um, a time when we have such a thing as the attention economy. Mm. So essentially, our attention is valuable, um, and in order to grab little bits of our attention, yeah, the media tries to make things more and more kind of yeah sensationalist, yeah yeah like uh, emotive to get really to get people really riled up like you say cuz it's it's like a it's clickbait yeah. isn't it but uh, and then and then that's monetized um so yeah that whole that whole uh, mo- like social like socio economic model that's been kind of imposed i feel like we're in a giant um you know social experiment in that way um but uh so that is i think that takes some strength of mind to step out of sometimes yeah. you know like and you know re- in really simple ways, like, um, for me, I've just, like, decided not to take, I never take my phone into my bedroom, for example, and never look at a screen, like, just before I go to bed at night, just so that, like, in that time, my attention is my Mm -hmm. own, you know, and um, if I can, I try, I mean, I've got a young daughter, so it doesn't always work out, but if I can, I try and, like, sit and do a bit of a practice in the morning, Um, again, just to, like, reclaim my attention, and, and, in, yeah intentionally set uh, a way that you would like to be you know in the day with other people really like give yourself time to, to to feel what's coming up for you because what we often do is just like go it's like so um rapid you know we just go from one thing to another we're encouraged to just go 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 um consume 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 mm. read like click 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 mm. you know and um and Again, that's a way to to kind of disempower us, you know, because we're kind of, our attention is so fragmented um, that we're not able to kind of to focus, to commit, to really deepen um, any sense of self, any sense of action Mm. in the world. So I think yeah be it like giving yourself practices that can help you carve out some space within that that you don't kind of constantly get dragged in all these different directions that so many people want to uh take you in is is really important mm.
2: Flo, really. before we ask you about I mean you've given us a few there, but some of the practice that you do to keep on top of yeah. your mental health, just a bit about full circle, it kind of um it hit me whilst you and Jim were talking there that like even though I, I do agree with you that you know we've got all these kind of external forces that are almost pitting us against each other for their you know for the their greater good not for our greater good but it does it kind of strikes me that 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 only can succeed when you know the majority of the population at large are kind of have some sort of intrinsic unhappiness and then that's when you kind of look for the enemy or you look for something to blame as to why because you know i was talking to i was talking to jim before and um i was stupidly i kind of jokingly but semi-seriously would always say that like I was couldn't wait until I met like a horrible Irish person because every one of Jim's mates were just all like salt of the earth people, and I was like, it can't be that you're all this nice. Like there has to be someone who breaks the rule, and when <laughs> that day comes, I'll be a happy person, right? Unfortunately, that day did actually come over Christmas period, and I wasn't a happy person. It shattered my illusions into smithereens. But anyway, when I was talking to this, you know, a housemate of one of my fl- fl- um, friends. And unfortunately, he was this Irish guy, and he wasn't. He wasn't saying some very nice stuff, and it was the first time I'd come across it. So I had to text Jim. I was like, "Oh man, my illusions have been shattered." But anyway, once <laughs> I then, yeah, and Jim was like, "Oh man, I told you, it happened sooner or later." In fairness, but once I spoken to my friend, and I was like, "Man, what was up with your flatmate? Like, why was he saying like that type of stuff?" Because I wasn't going to get involved. I don't know the guy well enough to even try to start to have a debate or conversation so i was just sitting there for once quietly drinking my drink and then basically it transpired that he wasn't very happy within himself like that's um. basically what it came down to and so then that's why when he would get drunk these certain like things of tropes would come out and i was like oh that's interesting that like you know when he's like sober and whatever can kind of keep it all in he's like this really happy-go-lucky guy whatever maybe like the stereotype of like this irish of an irish guy but then the minute was drunk like these things were coming out that weren't very nice to hear and i was like see i think that's the problem is that like a lot of us we we're unhappy like we were saying at the start with our jobs our careers the direction of our lives we think that we're losers because we're comparing it to like these standards that we see in you know netflix Mm -hmm. series or whatever it may be and then with the unhappiness they're kind of able whether it's facebook whether it's the media um and all this stuff they're kind of able to like almost like navigate that hate towards rather than like inward to push mm-hmm. that inward hate like outward and be like, Oh, the, my, the reason I'm unhappy is because there's immigrants or the reason I'm happy is because there's gay people or whatever that your thing is. And then like, whereas if we were kind of, you know, a bit more all like Christopher Boyce, wouldn't that be a lovely world? <laughs> then they then maybe like, they wouldn't be, they wouldn't have that success rate if you know what I mean. And, and things that are deemed clickbaity, like I somehow doubt that Chris is clicking on that type of stuff. Even Mm. if it came on on his feed, he'd probably be like, he'd just dismiss it straight away, you know? So I don't know, it's sort of like when you guys were talking, it kind of like brought it back full circle for me.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's uh, really well said. And I think it's... um yeah it's like what we were saying about that kind of like if you don't it starts from within you and and how you engage with the world and we're like we're told you know we're told it's it's a different it's the other way around so we kind Mm. of we need to kind of flip things on on their head a little bit and go back um to, to to the basics within us and that's to be honest that's why i also like wanted to work in wellbeing because it's about looking at like what are the solutions so i feel like yes we've we're facing a lot of challenges in the world today yes, we need to um, make changes in the way that we're, we're living kind of individually because we're facing so so many, like, you know, increasing levels of mental health challenges, health cha- challenges generally. People just aren't happy, aren't doing well. And societally, you know, we're going in the wrong direction. It's not sustainably. So, like, what, you know, what's going on? And it's very easy to get, like, overwhelmed and lost in the problems. And yet, like, what would... Uh, good like what does a good happy person look like for example and that you know just looking at the research from positive psychology you know it's it's our relationships it's our our, like connection to nature it's our sense of meaning and purpose in our lives it's very kind of grounded simple like things that we can connect within ourselves um and it doesn't you know and and there's so much that's you know gets in the way of that because we're, you know, there's so many things that we're told that are much more important than those things that, that kind of drag us in all these different directions. So, yeah, I think what you're saying, like, if someone's unhappy on an individual level, they can kind of like, if they're not aware of like that happening, they can kind of lash out or or Mm -hmm. direct that others. And yeah, we can do that kind of a kind of collective level as well. Like, Oh, you know, um, the the fact that we're struggling must be the fault of this group of people rather than kind of thinking about again the way that's you know with things are structured and like how can we get enough people uh, time to be with our loved ones how can we make sure that we're not like working 80 hour weeks so that we can get time Mm. to just like think and and breathe and eat properly and all of these like really simple things you know Mm. that are made like inaccessible to a lot of people just through the way that society is structured and that's just, you know, that's just upside down basically mm.
0: I'm going to try and combine these two things that have been popping up in my head for the last few minutes and mm. one of them is the Buddhist idea of um knowing suffering, you know, we, we've had a former mm. guest on three times Adam Starr, he's a very he's a good friend of ours, he's he's always given us Buddhist wisdom, the podcast guru the podcast guru, but uh, you know, Buddha like Buddha is also is often misquoted to say life is suffering. When really, if you ask most Buddhists, they mm-hmm. say no. He said no suffering, as in know what suffering mm-hmm. is like and acknowledge when you're at part, when you are contributing to your own suffering, and when it's the inevitable. Here, life is suffering sometimes, like you can't avoid it. But if you if you have the ability mm-hmm. to know when you're like with your free will going in for some suffering then you have the ability to go, well, why am I doing this? I don't have to do this. I don't enjoy when I do this.
1: Mm.
0: And I think that's crucial. And I think Seb is 100% right. That's a huge, in my opinion, that's a huge variable as to why people are like have an inclination towards going on to some sites that are, you know, spewing a bit of hatred or like dehumanization of other groups. But I also like this, this woman, I don't know if you heard of Anna Lemke. She does does work around Mm -hmm. addiction. And she's talking about how okay. there are several people or there's a section of population that fall into addiction and fall into certain behavior as a result of pain and trauma, like Seb was talking about. But there's also a section of the population that are happily married and, and like their job and, and are quite healthy. And because of the way certain um, aspects of society are pitched to us, we kind of fall into it. And so like while well, I agree with said 100%, that's, that's a variable. There's other people that, ha, you know, that are content and they just go on their smartphone, they find one video, they find another video, they find one article, they find another article. And all of a sudden, the maybe the mini addiction that they already have towards their iPhone, to towards a bit of distraction, the dopamine hit that we get from that is exacerbated when we go, oh yeah, I, I get like a little rush when I read that article, when I read, you know. And if you don't have that ability to say, whoa, when I read that article, I feel really angry and I didn't five minutes ago and I didn't have to read that article. Why am I just inflicting suffering on myself? I think. And, and so like Seb made a joke about Christopher. Christopher, among like several of my friends who would describe like one of the happiest of my friends, they they they're away from the phone whenever they can be, you know, sincerely like yeah. that. To the point where, yeah, sometimes it's really hard to contact them. You won't be able to contact them. And, you know, some people say, oh, that's selfish, or this and that. You know, I need to be able to reach it just in case. But I can safely say that a lot of the happiest people I know have, like like you said, clear boundaries of going, here, I know when when I can do this, and I know when I can't do this. And I think we need, we, yeah. we need to get better at that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think Yeah, I think uh, there's so much in what you said, and I think, um, yeah, boundaries are vital. I think what you say about, like, suffering is is really interesting, because I think um, in Buddhism they also talk about the the second arrow of um, suffering, so the the first arrow like if we get hit by an arrow the first arrow is is the um the pain itself so yeah there is some pain inevitable in life we're we're all going to die that's that's one inevitable you know that um we're going to lose people you know there's you know there's there is some suffering inevitable in life but the second arrow is the way that we then kind of interpret and like run over that suffering uh, you know and and kind of ingest that Mm. suffering into our system Mm -hmm. so um yeah I think that that's really a like a helpful analogy for me from Buddhism to kind of understand how we can yes of course there's suffering in it and that deserves attention and compassion and we shouldn't deny it and yet we don't need to kind of exacerbate it and make it worse by the way that we you know um treat ourselves the way that we talk to ourselves the way that we are with ourselves so um, and I think in relation to the point about the the news and the phone, I do think, yeah, setting boundaries and knowing where you want to put your attention. And I think it's important to say that that doesn't mean shutting mm. off the mm-hmm. world or not being aware of the challenges that we face in the wider world. I definitely wouldn't want to say, like, you know, let's let's all go and li- live in a cabin in the woods, like you said, although I'm sure that's really nice. But like some people, but like, um, let's be aware of you know the the challenges that we're facing but let's be aware in in a conscious way in a way that we have some control and awareness over how we're directing our attention and our actions so I really like um the work of some thinkers called Joanna Macy and Chris Johnston they wrote a book called Active Hope that was all about how hope isn't something that is kind of Uh, just like passive or you know something like wishful thinking it's actually being aware fully aware of the circumstances that we face but choosing to take even a small action in the face of that you know the challenges we face so if you do read a news article that upsets you like looking at like why is that upsetting you what's going on there is there anything you can do maybe like even if it's just have a conversation about that with someone else even if it's just like make a small, you know, a small donation, or maybe it's something bigger than that. Maybe you want to get involved in a political campaign, you know, see who what other actions are going on around that issue. But, you know, not seeing yourself as kind of a passive consumer or victim just with things happening to mm. you, but seeing yourself as, you know, an agent within the story of the world that's going on um, and, and reclaiming your, your, you know, your own attention, your own power to act within that mm. as well.
0: Flow, Flo, I know it's an hour and ten minutes, but it's just so fun to have you on. So we, we might have a question or two more. Um,
1: sure, yeah, go ahead. Yeah.
0: Compassion fatigue. I think Seb touched on on a ton, mm. touched on it a little bit when when he had that interaction with the guy on Facebook. I think it was where Seb is hearing what he has to say and then realizing the compassion is not being reciprocated. And Seb's trying uh-huh. to give some more compassion, but again, not reciprocated. Like you said, you're almost like empty uh-huh. in your tank. Um. I'd love mm-hmm. to know if, if if you've come across some some interesting research on compassion fatigue, or uh, how do we acknowledge when we're when we have compassion fatigue? You know, some people who work uh, in social care, some people who work with homeless people, some people who work, uh, in, yeah, in um, certain hostile environments that require, yeah. like nurses, require a lot of of compassion, yeah. but there's only so much compassion one can have.
1: <laughs> yeah. Of course, yeah. Well, actually, it's really interesting uh, research on this because um, actually uh, a woman called uh, Tanya Singer, who's a German psychologist, she um, has done a lot of research on the difference between compassion and empathy. Okay. And she says that compassion fatigue is, in a way, a bit of a misnomer, that it's actually empathy fatigue. And the difference being that um, with empathy, we're taking on and emotional state so if you're a, you know a nurse or a social worker you're you're in a caring profession and you're you know constantly feeling with um the other so con- you know taking on their emotional state as your mm-hmm. own um actually <clears throat> that can in a positive way that can be a doorway to compassion but in a negative way that can actually be very um Dangerous for your own uh, state because they you know um tanya singer's research team they did brain scans and if you're kind of empathetic to suffering you're actually you're the same areas of your brain lighting up as if you were <coughs> experiencing the suffering yourself oh. directly um so what she talks about is needing to move from empathy and the risk of empathy fatigue towards mm. compassion and the difference is um with compassion you don't take on the emotion but you wish you wish in your intention and potentially in your action you wish the person well so you don't you know feel feel the emotion with but you connect in with with that suffering but you connect more deeply to your intention to relieve that suffering so your focus is more on the intention to relieve the suffering than on the suffering itself and actually you know again um she uh did Uh, like brain scans on um, a Buddhist monk who'd been practicing compassion for decades, Matthew Rickard, and he was able to show, um, you know, when he was doing the compassion practice that it actually was kind of, yeah, lighting up different areas of his brain brain was actually able to kind of counteract this feeling of like overwhelm that we get if we're taking on others' emotional states. So, um, I think that that is where um, compassion can offer something really powerful. Um, and if we can kind of practice being with and, and trying to relieve suffering without taking it on as our own, um, that that can be a real um, real gift to people that are kind of faced with suffering a lot in their day-to-day lives.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. I, 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 I don't know, what comes to mind, right, is someone like my dad or a lot of, like, elderly Mm. Irish people, I think they would think that's quite cold. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Like, my dad is a big, like, oh, no, like, I was with him, and he was really, he was really, and you can feel my dad almost suffering more than the bloke he was talking to, you know? Yeah, yeah. "Yeah, And, and, uh, like, for you to say, hey, dad, why don't, or, like, ex, you know, John, whoever your name is, Mm. can you actually just tap into the point where you, You feel for them. You wish the best for them. You will do something good for them if you can. But you can't hold on to that suffering. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because you could see it as cold. But actually, have you ever had that experience where you're having a real moment of suffering and someone tries to support you, but they end up becoming more distressed than you in the first place. And then you end up wanting to take care of them. Um, so actually, um, it, it, you think you're helping by taking on someone's emotional state. And like I say, it's not that empathy is wrong. Empathy is the doorway mm-hmm. to compassion. So you can have, of course, it's it's beautiful to have some feeling with others, but not to completely, you know, take that feeling on as your own, and have that to be the dominating, but to, to use that empathy as then a doorway mm. to compassion rather than it's stopping at the empathy and letting the empathy and the emotion overwhelm mm. you completely without, and then feeling powerless and, you know, and also then putting your, having the risk of even potentially putting your emotional reaction on the person that's having, having the suffering in the first place, you know?
0: That's fantastic. Flo, is there something that we didn't cover that you thought, I think I'd like to mention
1: this? (laughs) Mm, I guess the main thing I would say is just a shout out to all the people that are trying to create a more positive narrative and like two immediately come to mind, um, like we've talked about media a lot and there's a newspaper called Positive News, which is like looking at what, you know, what are the positive solutions focused, like, news stories going on in the world today? And I think that's incredible, mm. you know, to have. Um, so I definitely recommend hey. checking that out. Um, there's also um, an amazing organisation where a good friend of mine works, Alex Nunn, who does a lot of um, stuff around compassion as well. Um, and his uh, the organisation he works at is called Action for Happiness, which is a really kind of accessible way into, like, happiness, Um tools and techniques you can use in your day-to-day life um, and yeah I think that there are so many like those are just two examples but there are so many examples like this and at the Network of Wellbeing we really look at like who are the solution builders and who are the those people really trying to change things and I you know I love uh, that that's what keep, keeps me going you know like I, I really think if you can uh, like look at those people that are genuinely like trying trying their best to like make a positive difference and you know none of us are perfect but you know there are people and organizations out there that are really um yeah making positive change it's really i think it can be really powerful to focus on those to learn Mm. from them to give your attention and energy Mm. to them
0: you know it's nice to hear also like network of well-being in the sense that you are happy when you see other organizations promoting well-being compared to like seeing them as rivals and like oh god they've they've a a good tool there we're gonna have to steal it and say that our tool is slightly better
1: (laughs) you know yeah no we're all about like supporting other other people and organizations that are that care about this kind of more well, to use your word, Jim, from earlier, at the risk of um, upsetting Kev, <laughs> <but> more holistic <laughs> idea of well-being.
0: <laughs> uh, I think that's the first time. This no, happens,
1: I, I can understand. <laughs> I can understand, uh, but no, like that more like looking at the whole picture and like seeing, you know, there is like a societal aspect, there's a personal aspect, there's a community aspect. This and this is something we all have a role to play, mm. you know. Um, so, yeah, we're, like, I think that's that's an important aspect of our work, like building up a network of people and organisations that want to, you know, learn from each other, support each other um, within sustainable wellbeing.
0: Amazing. Um, Seb, do you want to ask the final question, the, the question that we forgot last week?
2: Yeah, the question that we sometimes forget <laughs> to ask, um, to our shame. But we always, we try to, I was going to say we always <laughs> ask, we don't. We try to always ask, <laughs> I should say, Um uh how is how do you keep on top of your mental health you gave a few little um nuggets away like you know keeping the screen away uh just before you go to bed but are there anything else that you do um that you try to instill not doesn't have to be every day but just that you do when hmm. you realize that you need a bit of um self-care that you implement
1: yeah So um, uh, as you might be able to tell, I like practicing mindfulness, Um, but I don't, you know, I I also, I know a lot of people think, oh, mindfulness, I haven't got time for that. (laughs) Actually, I also, you know, I, I work, I've got a young kid, I've got like loads of different things going on in my life and it's not easy to always carve out like 10 or 20 minutes to sit and practice mindfulness, but I try and embed mindfulness a bit into my day. So even if I just have like, you know, a minute or two just to like, you know, take like count my breaths. Um, that's something I do quite regularly. I I often do it when I'm putting my daughter to bed, like, or if I've just had a hard day, just like, you know, breathing, counting to 10, doing that for a few rounds, like that can just bring like a little bit of that space that we were talking about, that, that space for your own awareness, your own um, sense of self. Um, and for me, also, like, community, like, is so important for my mental health. So just connecting, like, connecting with like-minded people and organizations and just feeling that sense of positive possibility mm. um, through, uh, like, connecting with other lovely people, basically. That really, that just really helps my mental health generally.
0: I Great uh, stuff. I, I uh, love I, those. I, I don't think I've ever done this but um, I felt a, a a need to. So basically, I was I had an exchange of emails with uh, with Adam Starr, who we were talking about, uh, our Buddhist friend, and we were talking about compassion. And I mentioned that we might be talking about compassion in the future. And he sent me this lovely New Year's New Year's um, message about compassion. And you are talking about like. In me, it it means, it like, being around community makes you feel a bit more hopeful, right? You think, oh, God, I feel this, and my community feels this. This makes me feel good about the future, because this could potentially happen for other people, and then they could feel that, and then they, they could move on. And I, and I just, like, it just came into my head. I think you sort of loved it. Like, the message from him was amazing, and he doesn't know I'm going to do this. But, but he said, um, I mentioned, like, what the wor- world would look like if it was more compassionate. And he says, um, it's an important question, Jim. We need we need to ask with respect to a world guided by compassion, as you say, what would that world look like? I guess it always starts with what would my world look and feel like? From the perspective that as a lived and felt experience, the more we can envision, imagine that, the more we will naturally want to become it. And the more we natural and the more naturally we will understand everyone we meet has the same potential to do so too no matter how crazy they act today for me at least that in itself naturally gives rise to a greater sense of hope for humanity and energy to bring that more sane approach to our world and what we can do with our lives when i read that i just thought what a message <laughs> 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 what a message because That's it beautiful. is because we need hope you know i mean like we yeah. me and seb could do 200 episodes on well-being and trying to get this aspect and that aspect and maybe we'll never cover hope like a complete um episode but the the difference uh, to have a sense of hope that makes you go about your day differently you know um and i just mm-hmm. love that and i love what you're doing Flo, it's been fantastic to have you on i'm sure people are going to feel a lot more hopeful listening to this
1: yeah, and uh, I hope it's a whole yeah. other topic that I could talk about for hours. So, you know, maybe in uh, future hours we'll have another episode.
0: Well, Flo, we love you so much. We might Absolutely have to have no you on problem. a second and
2: third time. Yeah,
1: <laughs> nice.
2: If, if Adam starts anything to go by, well, we're more than happy to have repeat yes. guests on. Absolutely. And nice. so, uh, thanks so much for your time, Flo. Well, thank you so much for your time, Flo. <laughs> yeah uh, thank
1: you guys it's been really lovely chat and like thank you for the work you're doing i think it's so important to break down stigma around mental health so amazing that you're having these conversations thanks so much
2: we'll we'll keep plugging away we'll keep trying my conversation thank you thank you very much okay
1: cheers
2: hi guys thank you for listening to the podcast please don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review if you haven't already Every review helps us climb the podcast charts so that even more of you can listen to our amazing guests. We really appreciate the support. Remember to tune in next week, but until then, keep safe and have a good one.